Bailey, you know how we always talk about how you don't really have anxiety about flying while I have all the anxiety about flying? Yes, I do know that, yeah. Ha, uh, that's about to change. What? Yes. Are you kidding me? No, I found it. I have found the story to end all stories. I mean, that's not true. There are so many horrific flying incidents, but here it is. Are you ready? No, but something tells me we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> that's right. Uh, I think I know where this is going. Oh, it's a disaster. I'm so intrigued. Uh, just wait. It gets worse. We are just the masters of disasters, aren't we? Calamity Janes. Welcome to Calamity Janes, the weekly podcast where two anything but plain Janes discuss disaster, calamity, and all of the things that you're morbidly curious about. I'm Madison. And I'm Bailey. Now, let's get down to business. I... Actually, I can wait. Now, you have thoroughly frightened me with your intro, so thank you for that. Awesome. I love making you scared. Okay. Rude. <laughs> but also predictable. That makes sense. It is. It makes so much so much sense of our childhood. I know. Well, I'm just paying you back for all of the times that you tried Aww, to kill me. Thank you so much. Aloha Airlines Flight 243 departed Hilo International Airport at 1.25 p.m. on April 28, 1988. Six crew members, including Captain Bob, uh, sh- including Captain Bob Schornsheimer and First Officer Mimi Tompkins, manned the 89-passenger flight on the Boeing 737 bound for Honolulu. The aircraft had already completed three round-trip flights from Honolulu to Hilo, Maui, and Kauai earlier that day without any issue. The sky was clear, the air was smooth, and it was an overall pleasant Hawaiian afternoon. I. I feel like I might know this one, but now that I think about it, there are a couple of Hawaiian air disasters. There are. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Uh, This one is particularly terrifying, in my opinion, but we'll we'll see. We'll see how you feel about it as we go. Okay. Once in the air, the aircraft reached a cruising altitude of 24,000 feet when suddenly a small section of the roof ruptured, resulting in an explosive decompression. Yep. Yep. This is this is the one that I one of the ones that I thought it could be. And you know what? It just it really Hawaii is not supposed to it's supposed to be a place. It's a paradise. I agree. It's not what I want to think about is air disasters. And so thank you for putting that this vision in all of our heads. It is think of so fun being in the middle of the Pacific and oh, no. having, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the aircraft rolled left and right and the controls went loose. Wait, Upon- were they in the middle of the Pacific? They were flying uh, to, uh, oh, I just said Hilo. Yeah, from Hilo to Honolulu. So they weren't, they were very close to all the islands. I mean, they were kind of flying like along the islands. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, but Hawaii is in the middle of the Pacific, so. Right, right. I just didn't know if they were like, I forgot that they were going inter-island. I thought they might be going to a mainland somewhere. And so they were like literally not near any land at all. No, no, no. no. They were, uh, I'll tell you exactly how close they were to the nearest Hawaiian island. (laughs) Do tell. Uh, Okay. Upon hearing a loud whooshing sound, the captain said he looked back and could see blue sky where the first glass ceiling had been. 18 and a half feet of the roof extending from just behind the cockpit to the four wing area was gone. Whooshing feels like it really downplays what probably happened then. But I guess what what sound do you say you heard? 
that was beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. That should be like our, our outro. Our <laughs> outro. Just my sound effects. Yes. I don't think anyone would appreciate that. They said it was so loud that they had to use uh, kind of a form of sign language to communicate to each other. The captain and the, uh, oh gosh, I had her. What did I do? Mimi? First officer. Yes, Mimi. Um, who also, fun fact, I'm pretty sure I saw somewhere that she was the first female pilot for this airline. Wow. Good for her. Yeah. Uh, they were both. Was this improvised sign language or like actual sign No, language? I think it was kind of improvised sign language. Okay. I mean, I, they. <laughs> Unimportant. I'm just curious if they happen to both know American sign language. It's like, wow, good for them. I don't think they both knew ASL. Maybe when you're trained to become a pilot, they do give you a few. I'm not sure. But they said that they, <laughs> they said that they could not hear each other because it was so loud. So they were yep. using hand signals to communicate. Okay. Um. Okay, so let's break down exactly what this means. So airline cabins are pressurized because the air is really, really thin at cruising altitudes. Even at 24,000 feet, which is relatively low, I would say, when it's like 35 to 36,000 feet, I think is typically where on bigger planes where you're going to be. But even at 24,000 feet, very thin. When in, it gets real thin real fast up there. It sure think does. about like even on uh, when you're hiking mm-hmm. and in Colorado and on Everest, you know, you, you can walk up to where the, the air is very thin. Yeah. I mean, I the highest I've hiked was just short of 14,000 feet. And uh, it, I mean, even at that point, I felt like the air was really thin. Uh When an unplanned drop in the pressure of a sealed system, such as an airplane cabin or fuselage, happens, a pressure vessel will vent into lower pressure surroundings. This can happen at different rates, but in this case, the decompression was explosive, very sudden. Now, planes are obviously designed to prevent things like this from happening. So a small bullet-sized hole, for example, in the window of an aircraft would not cause explosive decompression. I'm sure there are some action movies where that is not the case. <laughs> but Probably. a really small hole, for example, would not so much be the issue. It would hardly have any effect. Um, but a hole can be widened by debris blown through it, and that would definitely have an effect. Which, going back to the small hole thing, have you ever noticed on airline windows at the bottom of yes. them, there is a little hole. And I keep thinking, everyone knows that's there, right? It's supposed to be there. We're I, fine with that hole being there. Yes, that's cool, right? That You are exactly right. I have no idea what is going on with that hole, but I... Uh, maybe it's insulation because it's like double pane so it doesn't frost or it's not, you know... Yeah. there are two panes there. I'm just like, why do you have a hole there? Yeah. The hole doesn't make sense. And these are the important questions. I'm doing... The hard work. It's one of those things where you get on a plane, you do the check, and you're like, does does everyone know uh, about, oh, the holes? And just when you get on a plane, making sure that, you know, you, as the passenger expert, make sure <laughs> the staff, everyone is aware of the things that you see so that they know. Yes. Actually, interesting that you mentioned that. Uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. NASA scientist Jeffrey A. Landis states it would take about 100 seconds for pressure to equalize through a roughly 11.8 inch hole in the fuselage of a Boeing 747. But during that time, anyone sitting next to the hole would have a half ton of pressure forcing or sorry, a half ton of force pulling them through it. Oh, my 
goodness. 100 seconds is a long time to be struggling to breathe. And you certainly want to wouldn't want to be sitting next to that hole. And we might cover this disaster later. But the Southwest incident that happened in 2018, mm-hmm. that's essentially what happened. Yeah, where you have that intense... <laughs> Yes. Okay. Here's the sad part. Uh, 55-year-old flight attendant Clarabelle Lansing, or CB Lansing as she was known, had just taken last call for beverages when, as she was handing a passenger her drink, was suddenly sucked out of the cabin. Oh, my. It was instantaneous. Worst nightmare. Worst nightmare. Yes. Ever. Uh, Passengers reported being whipped by exposed electrical wires and pelted with shards of flying metal. I did not even think about that. Everything that's in the walls of those planes is exposed. It's coming at you. Yeah. Man. The captain performed an immediate emergency descent to 6,000 feet and soon diverted to Kahului Airport in Maui. I've been there. It's so hard to not say things like that when you, like, recognize a place. I think that's from everyone that goes to Hawaii, though. That's that's a very common. It's just so beautiful. Everyone wants to brag about going because it is such a phenomenal place to go. It's so true. Uh, okay, so they were deporting. They I've were, never been there, for the record. Ne- I've never been cause there. Because you're so lame. Maybe well, one day, fingers crossed. I hope so. Me um, too. Okay, so they diverted to Maui, which was 23 nautical miles away. So just for reference, when they left Hilo to go to Honolulu, they had been in the air for about 23 minutes or maybe 28, like 20-ish minutes when this happened. And they were taking last call for beverages. Like these are really, really short flights. Mm-hmm. Like a, like a Dallas to Austin. Just yes. For personal um, reference. Exactly. Uh, on approach, one of the aircraft's engines failed, and the flight crew couldn't be sure if the nose landing gear had properly deployed. So they um, they were talking about – there's uh, – I think I mentioned this later, but there is a YouTube video where a pilot kind of dissects what happened here. It would, it'll be linked in the show notes. It would really encourage anyone who's more interested in some of the more specific – things about flying (laughs) to go visit because some of the stuff I just cannot even begin to get into. But um, they were talking about how they didn't necessarily know exactly what happened in the beginning Mm -hmm. and the intercom system between the flight attendant and the captain or the cockpit, it was too loud for them to hear anything. Mm -hmm. But they said, you know, you can't you to stabilize the aircraft you're gonna have to go faster but you can't go too fast because you don't break apart exactly it could buckle it could literally disintegrate in the air and so they were (laughs) they were really flying by the seat of their pants (laughs) literally yes um and the fact so i have you did you read anything about like what the black box audio was like can you hear anything i do think there if you go on YouTube and search for this. There are a bunch of short videos because they also, mm-hmm. the National Transportation Safety Board went through this with a fine tooth comb to figure oh, out sure exactly what happened. Because um, in something like this, you know it is not pilot error. <laughs> yeah, so, pretty uh, pretty clear. Exactly. So uh, there are a lot of very technical YouTube videos out there where mm-hmm. there there's no fun uh, background music or anything. They're really just – I think there is some black box audio, but you could barely hear anything. So Right, because it's like all you hear is the roar of the outside air around an airplane going hundreds of miles per hour. Yeah, and the passengers were saying that, um, you know, obviously right after it happened and they registered, oh, that's blue sky and – 
that I'm still not supposed to. Yeah, after the initial real exactly after the initial oh my gosh we're going to die and when they didn't after a minute or two they kind of talked about how there was like a sense of optimism that went through the cabin because Mm -hmm. they were like oh my gosh the plane is still flying the cat the everything's okay we're gonna land it's gonna be fine and meanwhile in the cockpit they were like oh my god oh my god oh my god (laughs) what what do we do what do we do do you know what to do what are we gonna do yeah um but except like in all black box uh comms they're cool as cucumbers they're like uh well uh, well, and that's exactly what these captain, these pilots were doing as well. They they sound very cool, and they definitely did their jobs phenomenally well. But especially when you have something, it's not even just oh, our landing gear isn't down, or engine whatever isn't registering. It's mm-hmm. half of our plane is missing. Total disorientation. Just yeah. So, um, did they have a windshield at that point? Yes. They just were missing the ceiling. Yeah, it was right behind the cockpit. Okay. And to just before the wing. And it so it okay. really is like a convertible top. There are pictures of it um mm-hmm. and like of them still getting passengers out. Mm-hmm. So, but thankfully because it was last call for drinks, they were about to start their descent and so everyone was already buckled in. No that one is was up. Incredible wear your seatbelt on the dang plane exactly yeah if you are not up to go to the bathroom or something please have your seatbelt on it Uh, makes me never want to go to the bathroom on a plane ever again i already make a point of never going to a bathroom on a plane (laughs) if i can help it because one time when we were really little i it was the folding doors i couldn't get out and i was like this is where i die (laughs) this is but not because you're sucked out but although I do know that's a fear some people have is getting sucked out through the toilet. Oh, I've never had that fear in particular, but I guess I kind of get that. That's not how it works. If anyone listening to this who has a fear, it's that's not how it works. Definitely, you don't have to worry about that. But. Definitely not how it works. Um, but, but I did not know that you almost got stuck in an airplane bathroom and that was how you were going to die. Yeah, it scares <laughs> me. forgotten in an airplane bathroom. It scares me so much that when we took our eight-hour flight to Hawaii – I did not go to the bathroom the whole time. What? I didn't even stand up the whole time. I was so afraid. Moo. That's not healthy. I know. And when I stood up, not I was. Not even to stretch your legs. Blood clots are an issue. I, you got to stand up and stretch them. Yes, you are so right. I, I, do no one follow in my footsteps, please. No, it was a huge no. mistake. I was in great discomfort when I got off that Oh, my God. Oh my God. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was really not fun. Uh Anyways, um, I didn't have this in my notes because I there are a lot of different directions you can kind of take when you're looking into this. But mm-hmm. I did see that there is one flight attendant. I think there were four flight attendants total on the flight. One of them uh, spent the 13 minutes after the incident and before they landed crawling on the ground back and forth from you know the front of the plane to the back trying to give people life fests and give them because they didn't know what they were getting where into. they were yeah they um so she's a hero uh i mm-hmm. want to say her name was michelle again i try to do good research for this i really do but it surprises me that the, her name isn't like front and center because it's like what a heroic job yeah exactly um so but everyone really like everyone did everything exactly like they were supposed to that meant that the people in the first half of the or whatever 
fraction of the plane didn't have a didn't also didn't have masks, right? Yeah, like pre- that is oxygen masks. Exactly right. Were they just passed out? Or no? Uh, oh. I mean, some people might have, but they, uh, the woman who there in the show notes, there will be a link to a. I think it's a washing. Sorry. Wow. <laughs> a Washington Post article from uh 88 just a couple of days after this happened and the uh okay, I didn't include it in here, but that's fine. Um the there was a couple seated in first class in the first couple of rows and the husband said the uh Clara Bell Lansing, the flight attendant who passed away, had just handed his wife her drink. Their hands had just touched when all of a sudden she was gone. And then he said, I looked over at my wife and she, I want to say, was in a window seat. And so she was being pelted with, she was like severely lacerated on her face and her upper body from all of the debris. And so he said, I looked over and she was face down on her uh, tray table. And then he said he was getting tangled up in wires and he thought he was being electrocuted and and he just like couldn't really register what was going on either. And so uh, but his wife survived and they um, got to spend a couple of really traumatizing days in Maui after this happened while she convalesced. Yeah. And not that anyone should feel this way, but the way you just described it as, described it as having their hands having just touched, it's like. What if you could have just grabbed her hand? Yeah. Um, what if you could have just grabbed her hand? It's obviously not on anyone to do that, but oh, just to think that, you know. Yeah, you were the very last person yeah. to to interact with this person. Who, I mm-hmm. just like in an instant, she was just instantly yeah. gone. Um, mm-hmm. It's awful. Uh, so they, uh, like I said, one of the engines was out. And they needed to deploy the landing gear, and they couldn't get confirmation that the nose landing gear had been deployed, Mm -hmm. but they also weren't getting confirmation that it hadn't been deployed. So they had to try to land, and the runway was clear at Maui, and thankfully the landing gear had deployed, but... They, well, and they had, um, because the tower could see whether, mm-hmm. did they do, was this one where they did a, a a flyby so they could see, or they just went in for it? I think they just went in for it, but I do wow. think before they landed, the tower was able to confirm. But for, gotcha. you know, several minutes upon approach, they were like, we have no idea what shape the aircraft is in. Yeah. They probably couldn't have imagined, oh, you're like a sardine can, and it just, choop ripped right off the top yeah i also think they were coming in um they said that as they deployed more i'm not sure what the right word would be but like the flaps on the wings to uh create not create more drag as they deployed the flaps on the wings to slow down they were losing control of the plane and so they had to come in pretty hot are those called hold on i feel like i know what it is but i want to make sure is it ailerons i think they're called well that makes more sense i'm gonna call them flaps a hinged surface on the trailing edge of an airplane wing used to control lateral balance an aileron sure sure (laughs) um so they said they weren't able to fully use those as they were supposed to either and so they uh just really oh boy nothing nothing went right (laughs) nothing in your pilot training could have prepared you for i mean i'm sure elements of it you don't it's just like the things that go wrong when you're that going that high that fast it's it just all happens so fast and what could prepare you for that Mm -hmm. 
With significant skill, composure, and likely some divine intervention, Flight 243 landed 13 minutes after the incident. 65 passengers were reported. How many minutes? 13. Wow. Yeah. That just thinking about that has felt like it dragged on for an eternity. Yes, exactly. Thankfully, I, I don't think as many people would have survived if they hadn't immediately descended because you mm-hmm. would have to deal with hypoxia at that yep. altitude. But they immediately descended and that saved a lot of lives. And think about how fast that descent would have to be, too. Like, A, you're scared because, oh, my God, what just happened? But then the plane starts going down at probably a more rapid rate than it would have otherwise. Yes. And you're like, could it get any worse? Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. 65 passengers were reported injured, eight of which were serious. Clarabelle Lansing was the only fatality, and unfortunately, her... incredible. I know. Her body was never recovered, and neither was the roof of the plane. Really? Yeah. That's surprising. They sent helicopters out afterwards, and nada. Couldn't see anything. Although I guess if there's nothing to keep it buoyant, it's a sheet of aluminum, right? Yeah. I guess that makes sense. It's It's not like it's going to float like a raft. Yeah. It's somewhere. Yeah. Bottom of the Pacific. At the time, Maui was not even slightly prepared for a disaster like this to happen. They had two ambulances on the entire island. Air traffic control. On the entire island? Yes. (laughs) Wow. Air traffic control radioed a tour company asking for as many tour vans as possible to take injured passengers to the hospital. Office personnel and mechanics of the tour company drove the passengers in the 15 passenger vans. Can I say passengers more times? Uh, uh, but this is the part where, like, your faith in humanity is restored because you're like, everyone comes together just using what they have to help however they can. Exactly. Fortunately, two of the drivers were former paramedics, and so they triaged people on the runway. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's that's amazing. Yeah. Um. So why the heck did this happen? Please tell. Although this particular plane was scheduled to be retired in roughly a year as it wrapped up its 19th year of service when the limit was supposed to be 20, uh, the real problem was in the number of flights the aircraft had completed. This model of aircraft was cleared for 75,000 flights. This particular aircraft, though, had completed 89,680 prior to this incident and all in the hawaii area i think so they said Mm -hmm. that aloha airlines flew inter-island and then to the uh like mainland west coast and the Mm -hmm. canadian west coast but i think they said that this particular aircraft mostly went inter-island so it's being subject to a different i mean a different kind of climate routine yes like that is humid Yeah, exactly right. So not only did they exceed the number of flights that they were supposed to take by almost 15,000, they... uh, 15,000, oh my God. It's a lot of flights. It's a lot. Every time a plane is flown, it's pressurized and depressurized. Mm -hmm. That fatigues the metal a lot. And that's why we have limits on how frequently and how long a plane can fly. So... Every time that this plane went up and pressurized and came back down, the metal was weakened. Now, we know that this happens to planes, and it's okay, Mm -hmm. and that's why we have limits on it, but we have to stay within these limits. And then exactly like you said, the tropical, salty, humid environment where this aircraft spent most of its time 
it's kind of amazing this didn't happen sooner because that environment also corrodes metal. Of course it does. Yeah. Everything gets worn away faster. Like when you think of houses on the coast mm-hmm. and how you just got to pressure wash them and all the, oh my God. Yeah. So essentially the metal of the aircraft's fuselage was fatigued and the tropical environment exacerbated the issue by corroding crevices in the fuselage. So what was a tiny crack once more air started going through it became a really, really big issue. And I've seen that the the structure of the fuselage is meant to contain holes if there is a crack, it's meant to be confined to like a 10 square inch area. So that they can patch it. Because you don't have to scrap the whole plane just with a hole. Yes. Right? They, they patch it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was reading that everyone was like, the, the plane was written off. They had to dismantle it. There was nothing they could do. And I was like, well, duh. Half of it's gone. It's like, is that is that even a thing worth mentioning? Like there was nothing that you could do to this aircraft, but aircraft are really expensive to build. And so it makes sense that you would want to do anything that you could. Whatever you can. Yeah. So. Some airplane tape. (laughs) Um, Can I tell you, I was waiting on a plane. It was delayed. Something was wrong with it. And the um, gate agent was like, yeah, we're just waiting on the airplane tape to get here. But the way they said it for years after that, I thought there was such a thing as airplane tape until one day I said it in front of Andrew, right, the airline guy. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, would they'll probably just fix it with some airplane tape. And he's like, what? <laughs> Sorry, airplane tape? You know, that's not how that works. <laughs> People, no one's taping up your airplane before you. And I was like, what? No, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Um, this one time a gate agent said that that's what they were using on the plane. He's like, that was a joke. Oh, see, I would have taken that seriously as well. How the heck are we supposed to know? Exactly. Ex- I'm I'm not an expert in plane repair. I'm not part of the ground crew. I don't know. I'm not a part of your system. I'm not a part of your system. <laughs> uh, I mean. I threw it on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, little lonely island interlude. No, for I listeners. loved it. Um, it was beautiful. I really Thank appreciate you. it. Thanks. Quick dance break. Uh, so, like I said, there is a YouTube channel called Mentor Pilot. Um, he does a really, really good, thorough, like forty-minute episode on this. I would definitely encourage you to check it out. He can give you way more details about this. I cannot even begin to give you the kind of perspective that he has as a pilot so for sure for sure um also i think the where i he- first heard about this was in a book and i highly recommend it to anyone i mean i'm assuming we're all interested in disaster that's why we're here today <laughs> um, but it is called inviting disaster lessons from the edge of technology by Ooh. author james r Childs. i'll we'll link to it and all the resources madison uses in the show notes as always but uh oh, it talks about this disaster, the Concorde, and non-airline disasters as well. They're just – and they talk about the learnings behind them and um, et cetera so forth. Fascinating. It is. this Stuff like this is so interesting to me. But I have such horrible flight anxiety that I it's, – it's like torture. I want to know about these things because I have a morbid curiosity and I just – we obviously are all really interested in disasters. Mm-hmm. But every time I get on a plane, I can't help but think about it. I think the thing that comforts me, because you didn't get me with this disaster, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm my uh. anxiety isn't heightened by learning about this. Um, 
what I like about learning about airline disasters is that the end analysis with the NTSB, with everyone who investigates, is so thorough and it is done with the goal of identifying exactly what went wrong, exactly Exactly. what failed, who failed, you know, they correct it every time, Mm -hmm. you know. It's like you got to find what happened and you know what was wrong so it never, ever happens again. And to me, that is like... At this point, flying is so stinking safe. It is. Yes, that is very true. And I am not. I wanted to get you personally just because I (laughs) am a vengeful sister. But I, yeah, this is not meant to scare anyone out of flying. It's. uh, But to anyone who is scared. I mean, that's my logic behind. Yes. um, Coping with the trauma around airline disasters and why I'm fascinated with them or what helps me get through them is knowing that at the end of pretty much all of them. Yes. We always find out exactly what what went. Yeah. Oh, my God. What went wrong? Goodness gracious. You did it. Nailed it. Um, Yes. And so you're right. This, although this accident was entirely avoidable, more frequent thorough inspections and not exceeding the recommended 75,000 flights would have prevented this. But the NTSB did a very, very thorough investigation, which is also linked in the show notes. Um, And they made a lot of recommendations, including more specific guidance and proper engineering support and maintenance inspections. As I, that pilot with the YouTube channel, um, had mentioned that the, like, pre- there are certain there are different levels of maintenance checks throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month that a plane goes through. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of daily check that was done at like five in the morning in like the dusk or sorry, no, that's nighttime. At, done at five in the morning at dawn. dawn. Yeah. <laughs> when the sun wasn't really up, they couldn't really Why see. Why is it. there a difference? The the lights dim. The, the sun's just going in the opposite direction. Why can't we use the same word? I don't know. I think I'm always thrown off because they're always like, don't swim at dusk and dawn. Well, shouldn't it be dawn and dusk if we're going chronologically? But whatever. Depends. What comes first? The, <laughs> the midnight <laughs> or noon? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a good point. Uh, but that he had mentioned that the inspection that morning was done at dawn when the sun wasn't really up so they couldn't really get a look at good look at what was going on with the plane and one of the passengers reported she's like as we were boarding i saw that there was a crack in the top of the plane and i figured they knew about it so i didn't say anything but it's if you think about it how many times have you been getting on a plane and you've seen they're worn they I mean, it's not like she saw a gaping hole in it or something, but what would you say? Okay. A crack in the fuselage? I mean, this is not a seat that has cracked leather or uh, I'm pretty sure I let a flight attendant know when we were sitting at the gate and it was, were we in a cold place? No, I, for whatever reason, there was smoke coming out of the air ventilation system, like fog. And I was like, excuse me, excuse me. I just want everyone to see this happening right now. This is this is normal. We're nodding our heads. This is normal. Okay. Okay. Just making sure. If there was a crack in the fuselage, I'd have been like, well, okay. I what? also don't know when she says crack. I don't know if this is 10 inches wide. I don't know if it's an inch yeah. wide. A finger or an arm. Yes. Is it? And I don't know the details of that. So, but that just goes to show that the, I don't know if it was developed more throughout the day after those three flights in the morning or if it was there when they started and these people were just the unlucky unlucky group that got it. 
But um, yeah, so they're, they train people better now. They do more thorough inspections. And they saw that the Wendy's, when this aircraft or this model aircraft was being produced, this the front half of the aircraft that were kind of in, in this production line, they were, again, you're going to have to listen to this YouTube video because I, I just can't begin. <sighs> it, something with the um, lap joints where you know different it's a lap joint i think it's where pieces of metal, metal on the plane metal? overlap oh okay yeah um anyone who has any knowledge of building airplanes is like oh these two. Oh, i know i, I try right in with your complaints <laughs> we're happy to field them and correct in the next episode just be nice i'm a sensitive person <laughs> <laughs> I'll screen. I'll screen the emails. Thank you. Uh, I'm doing my best, and I don't claim to be an expert. That's why I'm I always want to. <laughs> don't get mad at me. Uh, yeah. So they there was like a certain uh, oh sort. <laughs> there was a certain bonding technique that they used where these joints overlapped and were brought together. And they figured out that they were changed kind of halfway through this production. This was one of the planes that used this problematic bonding technique. So they're hindsight's 2020, but they figured out a lot of stuff after the fact, and they've used it to improve safety checks, maintenance and inspection. And we can all rest easy knowing that that was the outcome. Yeah. Something else catastrophic is going to happen next time that we didn't anticipate. Uh, You know, I have maintained for the last couple of years that we push planes too hard these days. Actually, in the United States, I don't think I think we are more stringent because when we retire our planes, we sell them to other countries for further use. And I I think they update them and stuff. But Andrew was telling me about how um, like the four seven seven four sevens are they're being discontinued in production. But other countries are buying our four sevens as our fleets get updated. So they're still in use elsewhere. Um, That's a good point. It it seems like the yeah, the the threshold, the safety uh, what the margin for error, the margin for safety is is larger than um, well, and then the U.S. doesn't full, use the full breadth of the margin of safety is what I'm trying to say. I, I think. again, not an expert. Please email us with the real, real truth. You can be mean to Bailey. You can't be mean to me. But <laughs> mean. <laughs> uh, they and I only say that for stupid, selfish reasons, which is I think we fly in too bad of weather sometimes. And it, okay, <laughs> it makes me scared, it makes me uncomfortable, and I don't want to do it. But if there's a cloud in the sky, you don't want to fly. That's the difference. That I need clear blue skies to fly. No one would go anywhere if that was the threshold. Um, okay, last time I flew out of Kansas City, which that is just a problem. All the time. Well, the airport, the whole airport's a problem oh in Kansas God. City, which they know, and that's why they're building a new yeah, one. Yeah, that is so true. But Kansas City, being in the Midwest, continues to have horrific weather, especially around the Tornado the season. And one of the last times I flew out, the plane that was coming in that I was about to leave on, it came in just a couple of minutes late, and the flight attendant said, sorry for the delay. They hit severe turbulence on their way in and were inspecting the plane. I was like... Why do we fly through weather? As a matter of caution, you just got to be safe. Then you give it a little look-see. You find it's okay and off you go. (sighs) Makes me so scared. I just, uh, I don't even know. I used to be pretty okay on planes. 
Yeah, what happened? I don't know. I had my first and only panic attack happened on a plane, totally unrelated to anything going on on the plane. There was no turbulence. That could be it then. Yeah, but it just... Associating the the trauma with a panic attack with being on a plane, that'll do it. Yeah, it definitely will. And I... uh, Also, the last one of... I flew into Kansas City a couple of years ago, and we had really, really bad turbulence coming in. And the guy that I was sitting next to was really rude to me about it. And I was not making a big deal. I wasn't, like, screaming. I wasn't doing anything. I was just, like, making myself small. I was trying to – I was concentrating. I was kind of, like, buried myself in my sweatshirt. And I was just really not not feeling it. It made me really nervous. Oh, moo. But I wasn't making a big deal. Like, I wasn't being annoying or anything. Mm-hmm. And I was being quiet. And he looked over at me. And he was like, it's just air. And he didn't say it in like a, it's just air. Don't worry. He was like, sir, you're just air. What are you going to do now? Yeah, huh? exactly. Mm-hmm. I want to just stick my tongue out at him. Like, <laughs> 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 mm, I know. That would have showed him. It would have wow. really stuck it to him. Wow. But alas, I am a grown woman. I do not stick my I tongue out. I thought about people. sticking my tongue out. <laughs> Instead, I burrowed further into my sweatshirt like an adult. And I just did not appreciate that attitude. It was really, no. it was objectively bad turbulence, but it's. I'm, <laughs> It is what it is. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I've been really fortunate that the pandemic has given me an excuse not to fly for a long time. So, uh, Meanwhile, I'm like, take me anywhere. Take me with you anywhere. I'll go. I'll oh, go anywhere. Yeah. You, y- your awareness on a plane is laughable. You uh, remember the one time we went to go pick you up from the airport and we found out while you were in the air that your plane <laughs> turned around, but you were asleep. <laughs> And yes, yes, and I didn't know what airport I was. I was like, "I'm here." I landed. Was a, yeah. Oh, I'm here. I mean, I'm on. I'm on a tarmac somewhere. So I have landed somewhere, and it turns out it was at the same exact airport where you left from. Your oh, what no- a great nap that was, though. Oh, that was a very fulfilling nap. Nothing phases you. I need to only fly. It's with out you of my control. Fr- what am I going to do? What am I going to do on that plane? Oh, I can't fly that plane. I. I know. Well, and that's what I was talking to a really nice guy that I went to law school with. And I we were talking about fears that we have. And I was like, I, I flying just scares me to death now. And I don't know, other than therapy and drugs, I don't know what I can do to combat that. And which are two. Meditation. Maybe you need to meditate. Good meditation now. Oh my God. Tell me to meditate one more time. And I, you know how many people in my life have told me to meditate? I am not here for it. Well, have you tried it yet? I used to be on the, yeah, right. Meditation. No, thank you. But you might change your mind. Not knocking meditation or anything like that. I just, it doesn't, I it's just not my personality. I can't. I don't know. This is a weird road to go down. We don't need. We don't need to go down this road. I'm not forcing meditation on you at all or anyone for that matter. You got to decompress and deal with things. But you haven't tried it. So it's and as someone who also also was like <laughs> meditation. Yeah, right. Turns out. Kind of nice. You're right. Sound machines also did not think I'd be a sound machine person and look at me now. Oh, yeah, that's true. I can definitely vouch for sound machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, um, I can't remember where I was going with this. But yeah. we have officially lost the chain of thought at this point. This is the point where people are like, I really liked the podcast until they started talking about until. <laughs> yeah. Until they just started rambling on about nothing. Uh, okay. 
So anyways, that is Aloha Airlines Flight 243. Um, Thankfully, many, many, many people lived and the pilots did a fantastic job. Yes. What what a great example of a disaster, a very scary disaster and one that probably traumatized all those people, but where um, people who were professional and could help did and... Exactly. That, that didn't really come out. No. People were professionals and got people down safely, and then people around them helped out the best they could. Yes. Everyone maintained composure. Yes. And uh, everyone did their jobs. They did exactly what they were supposed to. So, uh, yay. Woo! Now I want to go buy a plane ticket to somewhere like Hawaii. Yeah. Go to Maui. I'll tell you mm. exactly where to go and what travel agency not to use. <laughs> On next week's episode, Madison is going to tell you about her travel, her personal travel disaster. My personal travel disaster that started my honeymoon. The first half of my honeymoon was really rough. A disaster. Oh, that's a story for another day. Yes. Thank you so much, Moo, for sharing this with us today. And thank you all for tuning in to another episode. We always appreciate it. And we have a new one coming for you every Tuesday, every week, without fail, so far. Um, so, so far. yeah, so far. So please subscribe if you haven't. Wherever you listen to a podcast, we should be on there. If not, should be on there soon. And we'll we'll catch you next week. And give a kind constructive constructive criticism if you have it. <laughs> yes, we we do leave our email down in the show notes as well. In case you want to drop us a line, send us your thoughts, your criticism. Just say hey, you know. Just be nice. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'll read these. <laughs> i'm a sensitive person i have a big heart sensitive sally oh yes you do you are okay thank you so much for listening we'll be back with more horror next week we will i was about to say because for those of you listening madison and i are actually on a like video chat and so it feels like we're having a conversation i was about to say i love you goodbye (laughs) i love you i do and i do love you all of you thank you for listening i don't we're just not there yet (laughs) we need to know each other better and we will we'll get there soon we will okay Okay. thank you so much (laughs) thank you goodbye everyone goodbye